poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday as part of the um, Chasing Poker podcast episodes. This is your co-hosts, Peter Birmingham and Duncan Apalamortis. Uh, Peter, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm very good. Very well, Duncan. Thanks very much. Uh, how is your How is your week been since we last spoke? So far, so good. I, I cannot complain. Uh, there's been a, a lot of uh, poker as as usual. A lot of uh, a lot of math. A lot of studying on my end. So the the year is starting pretty well so far. How about yours? Yeah, good. Uh, probably pretty similar. A lot of a lot of playing cards. A lot of studying and uh, yeah, just head dug into the computer and you know getting getting after it. Getting I a love good it. Start to the to the new year. I love it. I love it. And what are we discussing today? So today is, and that's, it's probably, uh, considering we're talking about how much time we're spending in, in front of the computer, it's probably quite an apt <laughs> topic, which is opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think this is, I think this is something that probably everybody's heard of at some point. If you've ever done any sort of, um, if business course or business studies in school, high school, or any level, this is this is a concept that you would be even vaguely familiar with. Absolutely. And it's a interesting topic because it's a very slippery slope idea. It's very easy for people to confuse what that means or even have a vague and incorrect understanding of what the, the word means, which is why um, now more than ever, we should talk about definition, right? So what is opportunity cost, like in very simple terms in, in your mind? How would you define opportunity cost? So if defining it simply, I would consider it when you choose one option over mm-hmm. an alternative the cost of the option you've chosen is that alternative that's right so yeah. in basic terms if you have a choice to buy a newspaper or a magazine and you choose to buy the newspaper the opportunity cost is the magazine you don't you don't get that that's exactly right and that's at a very basic level that's pretty much what it is that's that's very important and immediately we see that um uh, there's different ways we can uh, define it because for example in this case you define the cost as the actual physical object paper versus magazine uh, but also somebody else may say well i could actually convert those two objects into monetary value right i mean the, the the cost of the magazine or the cost of the paper so now we're actually measuring a different thing so um defining a specific uh, metric at the beginning, like how we want to measure things. Do we want to measure happiness? Do we want to measure monetary value? Uh, do we want to measure size? Perhaps because again, paper and magazine have a different size. So the opportunity cost is the difference of what you actually uh, would have gotten 
versus what you got. Like, so to, to give you an idea, if you have like, let's say, to make it even simpler in terms of monetary terms that people may be more familiar with, uh, if you, let's say, are a freelancer and you got a job and that job will give you, just to keep it very simple, get, let's say, $1 but versus another job you could have done, which would have given you $2. So the opportunity cost there is that difference, two minus one equals one. So you sort of like lost that extra dollar you could have gotten by getting the two dollars work right or if you could have gotten a different job for five dollars then the opportunity cost is now four dollars because you got it one instead of five that you could have gotten right so that's a way we can define it using some sort of like a differential uh between the two but of course <laughs> this is philosophical friday and it can get very complicated because the example you actually gave was much better and it doesn't necessarily involve money so there are different metrics by which we can come by and those metrics could be uh do we want to read magazine do we want to read the paper so it can have to do with uh, uh, happiness pleasure you know or enjoyment if we want to make the differentiation from last week and 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 things like that uh what are some or you already gave a a, a good example but what are some examples from real life, and perhaps we can talk about uh, not abstract examples, but more uh, more specific, uh, more specific examples. Like to give you an idea, what I mean by that, you know, choosing a spouse. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity cost choosing a spouse because in more places you can't choose more than one spouses, right? In, in the world, so you better choose wisely, is what would people say. And by wisely means that you know once you fill that spot, you know. Uh, Let's say it's very difficult to change your mind. Let, let, let's put it that way, right? I, there, are, there are ways to do that very legally and very ethically, but let's say it's very difficult and everybody would agree with that. So what are some examples like that in everyday life where we choose one thing, but there is a lot of you know opportunity cost, a lot of regret cost potentially if we're not careful? I, I suppose one sort of... In in that sort of vein, I think one glaring uh, example that most people can relate to is choice of career. Very nice. It's what you choose when you, like you finish college, you've studied something that has maybe multiple, multiple applications across various sectors, but you pick one role, one career path over another. And mm. that can have very significant um very significant impact on so much going forward, like your monetary, like, you know, whether you accumulate any sort of wealth, whether you have any sort of job satisfaction, you know, room for progression, moving on, like so many factors are involved. And the one thing about opportunity costs is it's very forward facing. Mm -hmm. And the answer in most cases is unknown until some point way in the future. And it's only as we look back, we can really see what that cost is. Um, so yeah, I think I think a career is probably is probably the biggest one of the biggest that most people face in their lives. You make a very good point, Peter, um, because uh, there, there's a couple of things here. Um, when we there's a couple of elements I should say to determine the opportunity cost. The first one is at the level of the decision. Once we make the decision, we realize that, hey, I went left versus right. You know, unless you're an electron and you're sort of like in a superposition of both states, which, uh, as we know, it's a very crude way of 
creating a metaphor, you cannot do both, right? I mean, in real life, usually selecting something means you can't select something else. So at the level of choice, we have one important dichotomy. And the other one is how far into the future should we need to go in order to make the calculation on whether or not we made the right decision? And more often than not, we wouldn't know that answer correctly. And we want to try to gauge through other estimates and metrics and uh, essentially um, trying to get a sense of whether or not we made we made the right decision. Sometimes this is easily quantifiable, sometimes uh, not so much. So let's talk a little bit about this. So what are some, uh, let's call them semi-objective, because that word is very difficult. Objective, I don't, I, I don't even know if objectivity truly exists, but let's say semi-objective or practically objective ways to gauge whether or not uh, we've made the right decision. So what are some ways to actually measure the cost of, 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 of our decision, would you say? Um, I suppose, so I suppose if we're taking it from, uh, let's continue with the, the, the career sort mm -hmm. of as the as the model um looking back do we do we feel a sense of fulfillment with mm -hmm. our with what we're doing now does does our job make like not that it makes us happy but are we happy with what we're doing mm -hmm. do we do we have a sense of regret over the choice we've made and that's probably that's probably the first signal is that you know if you're feeling that sense of regret okay well then then maybe there may be a cost to be measured. And then the next would be uh, financial health. Like, am I in a financially well-off position for that I consider to be, you know, for this point in my life, do I feel financially secure? If not, would I have been more secure if I took the other path? Would I be in a far better position to buy a house, raise a family, put my kids through college and do all the things that I wanted to do when I first set out? And then I suppose they're probably the two, two of the bigger, two of the bigger signals. And then possibly have I gone far enough in this, like in the career I'm in, I'm, am I stagnant there? Like, I mean, have I, was there room for progression? maybe i'm stuck at a level that they're just uh, another level doesn't exist or it's you know it so far out of reach that yeah it was a bad decision because i would have liked to progress up a ladder and that would have that would have been um that would suit me you know to be sort of ch always chasing the next rung of the ladder whereas i'm kind of stuck at this level i can't go any higher because maybe I would have to own my own company and maybe financially that's not possible. You know, there, there's all sorts of restraints on, on people in those situations. So I think there are some of the, some of the signals that you could look for um, that might give you some um, idea of what to base a metric off, you know, to sort of say, okay, let's look at what the other road might have um, given us had we taken it. And then start to weigh up the costs and sort of come up with a value as such. Absolutely. And, 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 and let me try my best to reframe what you just said, because I think it is an excellent, not only heuristic, but a very important point. 
Uh, it's very subtle in what you're describing, but between the platonic approach and the uh, practical approach, you're taking the practical approach. And I really like like what I see. What do I mean by that? Uh, in certain situations, and that happens a lot also in, in, in economics, in real life economics, not in the textbook economics, we don't necessarily know what the actual values are. So instead of you saying, listen, Duncan, here's the formula. I'm going to give you a platonic formula and you're going to plug in numbers and then you're going to see, oh, you realize 70% of your potential, which would be the platonic approach. And don't get me wrong, in some situations, poker included, those EV calculations can be made. Instead, you said, Duncan, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm not going to give you a formula of what is like, what is your score of that path that you took versus the alternative scores. Instead, I'm going to give you a threshold inner threshold of satisfaction, you know, like I need to be this much in happiness, in this much to be fulfilled. And this has to do with who Peter is. And I want to try to see if the path that I chose surpassed that threshold, right? Because you you use words like, am I content? Am I happy enough? So you, you have like some enough in your head. You have a threshold of enoughness in your head. And you say, did I surpass it? Because if I surpassed it, who cares really if there is opportunity cost, perhaps, right? And this is not only a stoic approach to life, I would argue, it is on top of that a very practical approach because perhaps even if there is opportunity cost is irrelevant. If you actually feel content with your life, content with your career, content with your path, why look for alternative paths? Because in theory, platonically, there might always be a better path. There might all the, 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 the grass will always be greener on the other side, right? So once again, I really like that approach, the practical approach, versus the platonic one. The platonic would be something where a super user could see all the paths of life, assign values to them, and then after the fact come and say, well, Peter, you scored a great seven out of 10. You could have scored a nine out of 10, or if you have taken this path, or a two out of 10 if you're taking this other path, right? But this is not how life works in, in, in many respects, especially the one that you just described career-wise, right? I mean, we can't do that. When it comes to poker, in certain situations, we can do that. In, in, in poker, we can analyze that path. We can take the platonic approach, right? I mean, we can do those formulas sometimes, especially if we're playing against an opponent who is, you know, more calculated or more pattern-wise, and, and we we can discuss this a little bit. So sometimes it's okay to take the platonic versus the practical approach. But the reason why I liked um, your approach there is because clearly on a problem as complex and as foggy and as difficult to quantify as a career, you took the practical approach versus the um, the platonic approach. W would that be fair? Again, I don't. Again, I'm reframing the, the way I would yeah, understand no, it. I, yeah, no, I think that's that's exactly that's exactly the approach I was because I think especially with something like a career, I think it's always going to come down to practicality. And I think mm -hmm. I think your point and the way you reframed it, it was absolutely spot on that. Yeah, I think I like and this is coming from obviously a personal frame of reference that I have a threshold of where, yes, I am at this level. And now, like anything better than this is just a pure bonus, you know, like nothing else really interests me whether missed opportunities or others i'm happy with where i'm at and you know we'll we'll go from there i'm not going to worry about you know the costs the opportunity costs the missed opportunities 
that's that doesn't just fa- it just doesn't factor into it. Very good. And then again, since we're talking about opportunity cost, there is also opportunity cost in looking for something else, right? Because all the time you're spending in looking for something else, you're taking it away from the thing that you have in front of you, and it is it is working. There is a very nice uh, metaphor that people are using, again, that has to do with opportunity cost. When you go to a restaurant for the first time, and then you want to try a specific dish, and again, it comes out to like a seven or an eight out of 10, comparing to all the other dishes you have in your life. Like, you know, very good meal, an eight out of 10, seven out of 10 is a very good meal, but you didn't hit that nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. So do you take the risk next time you go to the restaurant to choose something else, or do you stick with a good solid seven, eight? out of 10. Of course, that depends. There's no right answer, wrong answer there. It tells a lot about you, you know, like your risk tolerance, you know, how you're going to, but there is something to be said about sticking to the eight out of 10. You're going to have a really nice experience provided, of course, that that eight out of 10 hasn't been reduced because some people, the first time it's eight out of 10, the second time they have it drops down to a six out of 10 because like, okay, I experienced it. I don't want to experience it again. So I'm assuming that that food that you chose the first time remains in an eight out of 10, or do you replace it? With something, with something else. So there is opportunity cost in the action of searching for something, for something different. Um, I really, I really like that example because yeah. I think, I think that's actually a great example of where we actually get a more, a more immediate um, sort of idea of what the cost, of what the cost is. Because I think everybody at some point in their life has made a decision when they've ordered ordered a meal in a restaurant, come out and it's like the classic order envy. You've got it, you've tasted it. It's okay, but it's nowhere near as good as what the person with you has. And you just know their taste better. And straight away, you know, there's the opportunity cost right there. Like, right there. It's 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 almost it's probably as quick a response as you're gonna get in with that you know, in that sort of um in with opportunity cost is in that. So I really like that example. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one for sure. Uh, just out of curiosity, let's uh, let's have some fun here. Uh, are you more of the uh, stick to the eight out of ten kind of guy, or are you more of the guy who want, the second time you go to the restaurant, you're gonna try to find the nine out of ten, ten out of ten dish? Like, would you yeah, take I, the I, risk? I, I I like to take risks when I yeah. go to restaurants. I like yeah. to my my methodology for um ordering when i go out is i want to order something i would never cook at home for myself mm, I so like, that. like so i very seldom i'm not the typical male who goes out and orders a steak i cook steak perfectly well at home steak, <laughs> i cook a fine steak i do not need somebody else cooking my steak <laughs> i want to or i want to order something that i will never in a million years be able to cook want to cook or just cook like i order a lot of fish when i go out because my mm. partner doesn't eat fish she just doesn't like fish so we very rarely have fish when we're having we never have it when we're having meals together the only time i get it is when um maybe she's eating out or I'd, i'll have some for lunch or something like that but uh so i'll usually go for fish when when we're out simply because i never get it at home but yeah no i'm definitely i'm definitely on the adventurous side when i when i go out i i like to I like to experiment. That, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. This is this is great. It, it makes perfect sense too. Like you know, you want to try the things that you cannot find elsewhere. That's 
That, that that's another way, by the way. I mean, it it, it sort of ties to uh, to to the opportunity cost in the sense that um, it reminds me of something we said earlier, and it ties to that a little bit. The idea that because there is um, so much cost on everything that we do, if you let's say you have a specific career path and you potentially considering whether or not it would make sense for you to change a career path. A better move than changing career paths altogether and trying it would be to try it a little bit. What do I mean by that? Very similar to what you just said. You know, like you want to, instead of just start, I'm, I'm, I'm altering uh, your example a little bit for our purposes, but instead of you just start cooking fish at home because, you know, just for yourself, uh, you, your partner doesn't like it. Instead, an alternative would be, well, maybe I can go to the restaurant and try it out a little bit see how I like it. And if I like it really, really much, maybe I can move it back home and I can start cooking it. My, my point is sometimes when it comes to trying different things, when it comes to, you know, testing opportunity cost, it makes sense to experiment. That, that That's the connection that I'm making. The experimentation can help. You can do it a little bit. I often have some students who say, you know, Duncan, you know, I think I reached a dead end with my life. Um, as you know, in this degree, I just want to, you know, give my degree and give up my degree and go pursue a different degree. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Maybe that's correct. Before you give up your current degree and you go to the next degree, just take a class on that different degree. Just take, take a class. Most universities will allow you to do that. Just, just go take a class. Do you like the class? You know, before you jump between careers. So before you do like this big uh, jump, just try it a little bit. Or people say, you know, I want to be an influencer or whatever it is. Just, okay, great. Just on your spare time, try to, you know, make, you know, a podcast or a video or whatever it is. See how you like it before you quit your day job, so to speak. Or I want to be a poker player. Yeah. Great. Before you quit your day yes. job, right? Before you quit your day job, right? Which can be something that you're good at. It could be already a seven or eight out of 10 out of you. But, you know, you may have that adventurous spirit, which is great. I mean, if we didn't have the adventurous spirit, we wouldn't have discovered uh, the world. We wouldn't have been able to have the technology advancements that we have, industrial revolution. We want the experimental spirit, but there are ways to experiment intelligently. And what you're describing, you know, the like going to the restaurant restaurant and, and you know getting the fish that way to me, and again, I'm altering your example just a little bit to fit our our, our narrative, our purposes here, and, and I'm doing that knowingly. But to me, it sounds like somebody who is finding ways to taste things that they're missing from their lives in an intelligent way, you know, not in a, oh, you know what? I mean, I'm going to get this whole like cooking set that makes fish and I'm going to make it for myself. You find an alternative way to, to experience it, to, 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 to experience this, this, this other path. In, 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 this, in, in your case, it's not exactly an opportunity cost because you're not trying to go left or right, but it does tie to the idea that when we want to experience different parts of life, which are mutually exclusive, there are ways to do it intelligently sometimes. And it is like, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, and poker is probably one of the, one of the best examples of that. Like you don't just decide one day, oh, I enjoy poker. I am just, I'm quitting my day job and I'm going to go be a professional poker player. Right. Now, maybe 20 years ago, that was possible, <laughs> right. Right. but absolutely not now. Like, you know, you've got to, you've got to have a bankroll. You need to have a win rate. You need to make sure you're good enough. Um, you probably need a coach. There are so many factors involved. And yeah, it's not something you do on a whim. And big decisions like 
changing courses, changing careers, anything like that. These are massive decisions and should never be taken, you know, sort of at a whim, just plunging straight into something else. Take the smart approach, as you say, you know, try a little bit because you don't like this. You you think you might like that, but you don't know. Like it's again, it's a shot in the dark. It's not a you've no sort of frame of reference to to say that, okay, this is what I want to do now. That's that informed your decision the first time. Like you pick a course, like especially in like with a course. Like, I mean, who nobody when they pick a college course really knows what they're getting themselves in for right. in the first instance. You go, you pick the course. Some people enjoy it, some people don't. Some people stick, some people switch. Um it's only in the trying that we ever understand whether we're suited to something. And that's so trying a little bit is just make it's just common sense. You know, it, it, just it is it sense. is common sense. Right. It is common sense. And, you know, as they say, common sense is not that common, which is no, why. Absolutely not. Yeah. Why we're having these conversations. Right. And it is a nice and, 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 and to be fair. Right. It is easier to give advice from the outside when you're on the inside and you're frustrated, you're flustered by life. It's easier to to do things which you wouldn't do it if you have them. If you have a peace of mind. So, but this is a good heuristic to keep in mind. You know, you can always taste it exactly the same way you taste fish when you go to the restaurant. You can always taste the alternative a little at a time as you know your life allows us um, allows it for you to do it. And then if it works well, perhaps you can make the more. Um, the bolder, the bolder move, uh, and specifically in poker. For all uh, those of you who are listening, and perhaps you're thinking about a career in poker. Um, now, speaking of, what are some examples of opportunity cost uh, in in poker? And we can we can go, you know, all the way down to the granular level, you know, hand to hand, all the way up to you know poker as a career because there's opportunity cost on all those levels. So what are some opportunity costs that come to mind? Let's start with like hand to hand level that can come to mind, Peter. Um, I suppose at a very, yeah, I suppose at a, a really base, like at that sort of granular level, the decision to enter a hand, mm-hmm. enter a pot with a particular hand. And very good. there's naturally a cost involved. Um, if you're playing, a, if you're playing a lot of weaker hands, and I think this is, I think this is kind of a this example comes up in your book, Duncan, doesn't it? With the, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the the player that plays too many pots with weak hands, right. and then, you know, by the end of the night, okay, they get a double up, but the double up is quite small because they've sort of bled a lot of their chips. Whereas right. the smart player plays. A much tighter range doesn't stack size doesn't fluctuate then get a double up but their double up is almost a full stack so they've right. come out way more ahead um so the cost there is you know the decision to enter enter the hand in the first place and um, what range you're going to play are you going to play really loose and you know splash around or are you going to just play tight play a smart range and you know sort of Cut that, you know, not uh, not splash around too much, and sort of cut the variance down quite a bit. That's that that's very well said, Peter. And 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 the one can argue that the entire game of poker is a giant 
uh, course on opportunity cost because we can think of the entire decision tree. They call it tree for a reason because you can choose one path versus another path versus a third part. And by the way, we're not necessarily talking about GTO. That's, you know, GTO will give you sort of like the optimal tree. But even if you make assumptions on your opponents, you still have a decision tree. You know, if you if you check, it means you can't bet, and if you bet, it means you you cannot uh, you cannot check, and so on and so forth. You know, and if you raise, it means you can you didn't call. So you every time you take an action, it means you didn't take another action, which could potentially have a higher return. So in 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 some sense, the entire game of poker is 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 opportunity cost. Um, and um, yeah, go ahead. I think I think a good example of that is. Um, if we have a if we have a value hand, let's mm-hmm. say we're let's say we're in the big blind button opens we call, um, we hit a set on the flop and mm-hmm. the button C bets. Mm-hmm. We choose not to raise mm-hmm. for whatever we decide to slow play. Mm-hmm. There's a mass there is possibly a massive cost there because Excellent. the the cost being you may not get the opponent stack because you do not raise the flop and, and the Beautiful. SPR is just going to be too high. And I think that's a really, a really good example Very of good where example. our decision has a real monetary cost to us. Absolutely. Uh, not only this is a brilliant example, but it also shows why poker is a difficult game because I can hear, I can hear the listener who will say, but yeah, maybe by calling there and trapping, you make more money. Right. Not only there is a potential opportunity cost, but it's kind of foggy to know what that cost is, especially if you're an inexperienced player. Right. And that's where training can be very, very important. This is probably uh, one of the most classic examples of why, you know, you shouldn't uh, leave value on the table and why, you know, in most cases, more often than not, fast playing hands like that, especially if there's like a a decent top pair on the board. a, a decent high card, I should say, on the board, which makes for decent top pairs, is the, the correct way to use grammar here. Uh, is you know, you know, check raising there and hoping that your opponent has the top pair and they're not able to to fold it by the river. So before they know it, they have committed like sixty percent of their stock, and now they're like, you know, screw it, I'm getting great great price, uh, which is the classic fallacy, you know, cost fallacy. That's a, another type of cost. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's you know part of the reason why we're raising those sets, right? Because they say, hey, you know what, maybe I'll call on the flop and see what happens. And, you know, the turn comes, you know, something that potentially is innocuous. So they say, well, you know what? The texture didn't change. If I call the flop, maybe I should call the turn. And then on the river, they're like, you know what? Now I committed 70% of my stock. I'm getting great odds. And before they know it, they're they're all in with one pair, you know, and they just, uh, um, you know, raise your hand, uh, you know, for every time, you know, you have stacked somebody like that. You know? <laughs> but this, this is a great, this is a really, really, really great point. I love it. Uh, so, um Another another example that I find in a single hand, and this is something that can spark potentially some controversy. There was a time in two plus two where the predominant philosophy was take any plus EV spot you can and take advantage of it, right? And I, I used to think that that was actually correct until I started playing live a little bit. And when I started playing live, I started seeing that you don't have infinite amount of spots to take advantage of. And often uh, a spot, in order to be profitable, you also need what is known as image. People do pay attention in their short spans, and they have sort of like a vague idea of how you play. 
So if you really, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So if you really are trying to take advantage of every limped part that you completed on the small blind or you're on the big blind and checked around to you or like something like this, if you try to win every small part, people will think you're a maniac. So when there's a time to run a well-timed bluff and people are on the fence between, let's say, calling you or folding to you, they might not actually fall to you. So you might actually lose an opportunity for a, like on the to run an, a, a, a bluff which will be on the fence otherwise just because you were fighting for those five and six big blind pots that nobody wanted because, hey, we have to fight for every plus a V spot, right? Not necessarily. And this is, yeah, there is a an idea, which is obviously not mine, but I, I have a, a term which Brad would call a Duncanism. I call it the nonlinearity principle, which is basically the whole is not always the sum of its parts. So the total EV that we get at the table is not necessarily like maximizing the total EV doesn't come from maximizing every individual spot. As a matter of fact, losing EV in some spots or, or intentionally could maximize our EV in a later spot because again, losing those little parts potentially, or at least let them, you know, I'm not saying, you know, just fold your monsters or anything like that, but don't, don't fight, don't push these edges on those small parts. And then when the time comes for the for the potentially on the fence bluff, it uh, it, it it works out. And and and, and Peter, if you if, if you don't mind, can I just say a couple of things about that nonlinearity principle, just in case anybody finds it interesting? Absolutely, Duncan. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the, the, uh, the like I said, the nonlinearity principle is not something that uh, it's mine. For example, I mean, you can see it in places like uh, gravity, for example. Right? I mean, that's a, a complicated example. But before we get into gravity, nonlinearity principle is very simple. Like, as human beings, we're not, as a whole, we're not the sum of its parts. In other words, a human being is not worth as the, the sum of their individual limbs, right? So obviously, you, you don't want to split a, a person into, into their limbs, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to be worth nearly as much as they are together, right? Or Or staying awake 10 times for 20 hours is not the same as staying awake one time for 200 hours, right? Or drinking a whole bottle of tequila 10 times is not the same as drinking 10, 10 bottles of tequila one time and, and and so on. So the sum is not necessarily, you know, the, the parts. And sometimes the sum is worth more. Sometimes the sum is worth less. Like for instance, when you buy a lot of stuff and you get them at a discount, right? You get a discount because you buy a lot of stuff all at once. Yeah, yeah. The proverbial, you know, toothpaste, you buy a lot of toothpaste and then you get, you get a discount on this. So not same fallacy in there as well. <laughs> there, there, absolutely. Absolutely. Want to take, talk to us a little bit about that fallacy? Just the idea that like, you know, sort of buying all this, you know, buying all this toothpaste and you're getting this, but you would never buy that amount of toothpaste at that time. So you're basically tying up you know, there's again, there's an opportunity cost, cost there because right. if you're spending money on something that you're not going to need for months, um, that money cannot be used elsewhere. So there's there's a cost involved there. So yeah, buying buying bulk uh, items of stuff that's you know sparingly used is not necessarily the greatest use of resources. I think it's, it's uh, I think it's a it's a bit of a fallacy to think that you're actually getting a deal. You're absolutely correct. And, and this is where it really does depend who you are. If you are somebody who, like, let's say, has a tremendous amount of debt, obviously paying debt will be a priority, 
right? So uh, you're actually misusing that amount by getting that discount because you have like whatever the interest rates like coming in every month uh, against you, not in your favor. Uh, if you're somebody on the other hand who keeps their money in the bank doing nothing with it, you know, that actually that discount could actually be favorable because instead of just like, you know, being um, taxed by inflation, you could use that to, to get a little bit of a discount. If on the other hand, to your point, you're an investor and you want to, you have surplus of, of, of money, but you don't have any cash sitting in the bank. And then you, you want to buy equities with it, or you want to like get things that have tangible value and the assets that produce value. Like we talked about the difference between investing and gambling, some assets that themselves produce value, whether themselves they go up in price or down in price is, is irrelevant. They themselves produce some value so much better than getting a discount so much better than uh, in, instead of just like paying less, you actually get paid by somebody, essentially, right? By that, by that asset. So depending on where you are in your life, that can actually be, like you said, a fallacy. And I, I agree with that hundred percent. It's good that you that you bring it up, bring it up. Uh, the the nonlinearity principle simply tells us that the sum of uh, the parts is not necessarily equal the whole, or the whole is not equal to the sum of its parts necessarily, right? And and for the you know. One or two listeners, we still want to hear the scientific example that happens also in, 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 in gravity. And the idea is, of course, that like, let's say two pieces of matter, uh, they don't exert um, the same gravity as each piece individual. And then we combine them because those two pieces of matter, they exert gravity onto one another. So there is intergravity between those two pieces on top of whatever gravity they exert on other pieces. So it gets a little bit complicated. So that idea of nonlinearity is certainly not um, unique uh, to us, to poker or to, to life or to science. It, it shows up everywhere, but it is something to keep in mind. It is easy to think that uh, in order to maximize a certain outcome, it makes sense to individually maximize every part. If only it was that easy, right? If only it was that easy. Look, sometimes it would make sense, but for the most part, for the most part, it, it doesn't. And in, in poker, I would argue there are a lot of situations where you can potentially find find better spots. And and training and thinking and spending time away from the table can can help with that. Also paying attention at the table. You can see from time to time uh, that this is not the case. I think even just like for, uh, as you bring up the, the the live realm, and I think it's it's a really good example. Even in the sort of um, the, the 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 bigger sort of meta game with mm -hmm. with regards to EV, um, we hear an awful lot about like high stakes, the private games, the mm -hmm. private scene, and that now not that I have any experience, but like listening to pros talking about it, and any of those that have been lucky enough to be sort of getting seats in those games with, you know, big rich whales who are happy, happy to play, but they're not going to sit there playing with the guy that's taken right. every ounce of EV off the table. They will play that with that guy once and he won't be back next week. He will not get that seat. So by trying to maximize the EV in one time, he has lost out on all future EV. So the actual cost of him taking that, taking that EV could be exponential going forward because he no longer has the seat. That opportunity is no longer being afforded to him. And I think that's 
from a, a poker perspective, that's that's a really good uh, that's a, a really good example. I think it was really an uh, example. As um, from a quote from Rounders, but it was a quote in Rounders from somebody else. You can uh, you can shear a sheep many times, but you can skin them only once. And that's I think right. that's that kind of uh, that really ties into that that maxim. Absolutely, and that's the proverbial golden goose. Yeah, absolutely. right. That, that, yeah. that sheep is the proverbial golden goose, and and you know, and and I guess what is opportunity cost? The proverbial golden goose, yeah. right? You you can and for those for the one percent who may not have heard that story, the idea that there was a, a goose that was laying golden eggs one a day, like one golden egg a day, and the owner said, well, I mean. If it has like, you know, one golden egg a day, maybe it's full of golden eggs. Maybe I can kill it so I can get all the golden eggs all at once. And of course, it killed the goose and there was no golden eggs inside. So that, that's exactly right, you know. And and to take that a perfect example even further, it's not just, you know, like in the high stakes games, it's not just enough to um, uh, avoid, like you said correctly, to take all the plus EV spots, but also you have to do minus EV things like showing cards you know, making people feel, feel feel comfortable. And it's not only just uh, in the sense of, um, of uh, you know, that may sound like a manipulative approach and decision. It is bad common sense, like you would say, to just be in an environment that everybody's having fun and then you don't acknowledge that. It's bad emotional intelligence to be in an environment that everybody's having fun and then you're trying to, to make a profit. You just don't fit in that picture, right? So it would make sense to blend in. And this is something that we do socially all the time, right? If you are in a, in a place where everybody, you know, is laughing and joking and you're not in a good mood, I mean, sitting like grumpy is not the way to go. You know, you sort of like try to, whatever it is people react to that, either, you know, change the conversation, try to smile the best you can, fake it till you make it, whatever is your approach, like, you know that if you're sitting there grumpy or telling everybody, you know, your uh, whatever, your sob stories that nobody wants to, to listen, it's the best way to get ostracized, right? So it, 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 you, you got to fit into, into that environment. So it's not necessarily manipulative behavior, although in some cases it very much is, but it is common sense. Like, you know, you got to, like, in order to be in, a, in, in an environment where you survive, you have to fit in in, 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 in a certain way. So this is... Uh, Let's talk a little bit at a different level. How about, you know, table selection? How about, you know, the opportunity cost between between different games? What examples do we have there? So I think, again, another fairly obvious example, I think, would be the choice to play in a nice soft game with weaker players where you're going to have a really high win rate you're probably going to win a lot of money. But your game may not develop. You don't need to do much with your game to win in that, in that, mm-hmm. in that lineup. The alternative is to play in tougher games against mm-hmm. much stronger opponents. Your win rate is going to be a lot less, but your game is going to massively improve over time because you're going to have to keep putting the work in. So how do we decide what... And, that comes down to I think that's that comes down to as much about what kind of player you want to be like what is your what why why do you do this do you do this purely for financial gain or do you just really want to be the best player you can be right. um and that's I think that's um 
I think that is, uh, there is a cost involved in wanting to be the best player because you're not going to get, like, if, like, there's nobody that sits in these high roller tournaments that we watch, you see on Poker right. Go. There's very few of those guys ever get invited to private games. Like, right. it just doesn't happen. They are not playing high stakes against Big Well. Nobody wants to play those guys. These guys are the top level. Um, so, the opportunity costs for them trying to, you know, being the best players in the world is missing out on potential uh, softer lineups elsewhere, you know, and that's, and then that filters right down. Like when you're playing, like, I think we'll all be in agreement that live is a lot softer than online. Sure. Like the live is, it's an, it's an easier game. So, if I'm sitting at home, uh, four table and 200 NL on Poker Stars or GG, uh, my win rate is probably going to be less than if I went to a local card room and played one, two with a $5 straddle uh, right. over time. My game is going to suffer if I play that, but financially I might be better off. But my potential won't be reached by playing in that game. So there, there's there's multiple I think there's multiple trade offs even in that one example. Absolutely, and and I think understanding those trade offs can actually be the, the the biggest step of all. Like even understanding them, it's it's okay like to take either 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 or, but there's a huge difference between the person who decides A and they know what's in B versus the person who decides A without knowing what's in B. Right. So uh, to, to me, th that's huge because you, you make a conscious decision, which you can change at any time. You know what's on the other side. And then even asking those questions, asking or being aware of the alternative, like consciously aware of the alternative can be very beneficial to you because it means you can easier switch at any point. Right. Which I, th I think is, is, is very relevant. One thing that I recommend to a lot of my students who talk about who are live players and, you know, who considering uh, on, online. Uh, I mean, I everybody knows that. I mean, I played, you know, millions of hands online. I came from online. I mean, I transitioned to life for reasons that I've explained many, many times. I'm not, I'm not comfortable playing online any anymore for many reasons we can discuss for a long time. But this it, is a different, different topic. But one thing that online still has for me, and I also recommend to to students, is one of the best teachers out there. You know, you can train yourself tremendously by playing online uh, at whatever stakes you know you you feel comfortable and still game select aggressively live right so you can sort of like separate your training from the actual you know money making because again we're running a business and we just have to bring like we have to be very uh cognizant of the fact that you know like that win rate um can be translated into monetary uh, compensation. So, and, and often, you know, uh, I, I recommend people, if you're sitting at a table, you know, where you don't feel like you're by far the best player at the table, you can table select aggressively provided that uh, opportunity exists for you if you are trying to make money. But like you said, if you're trying to train yourself, if you're trying to be better, right? The, the opportunity cost will be in reverse because, again, you have a great opportunity to improve and yet 
you know, you're choosing something else that will not will not improve you. So there is two opportunity costs is what I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to do a little bit of reframing. There's two opportunity costs. Yeah. The opportunity cost, the monetary one, and then the opportunity cost of the skill. And sometimes a certain table can provide you with one, but not the other and vice versa. So you may have a monetary opportunity cost, but not an opportunity cost when it comes to skill. And then in a different table, you can have an opportunity cost when it comes to skill, but not when it comes to money. So there are multiple, and again, it has to do with the metric. Remember when we talk about the definition, what is the metric that we're using? Are we measuring happiness? Are we measuring monetary compensation? Are we measuring skill improvement? Right. So what is the metric by which we're deciding whether we're making the right decision? And there could be multiple metrics that we have to uh, to choose from, engage and understand. And I think understand it, be cognizant, be aware, be mindful of the choices that we're making can be a huge, a huge first step. Um, would that be a, a, a fair reframing? Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's absolutely uh I think you, you you definitely hit the nail on on the head there, and it is like, uh, and again, like this being philosophical Friday, this does all stem back into what a person's own philosophy is. Like, what is what is their driver? What is their emotional why? Why you know why did they do this? And that's gonna that is gonna frame the question for them or the answer probably better. Um, when it comes to making these decisions, there, that's going to open up the, it's going to, you know, which door to which door to choose. Absolutely, absolutely. So one thing, uh, so I can see my my camera is freaking out a little bit here. Uh, yeah, so I, I I do notice that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're, we're we're back. So yeah, I mean we're doing this live. So things uh, things are going to and. Uh, I shouldn't say live. No, we're not doing this live. Let me let me reframe. We're doing this in one take. We're not we're not doing you know like heavy edits or anything like that. I should be I should be careful with the words that I'm using. So we're gonna leave this in because hey, like things like that happen. So I, I, I apologize. We're, we're live to, live to tape. I think is the uh, live is to the tape. industry term. Live to tape. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Peter. Li- 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 live to tape. Right. So uh, I guess one more thing we can talk about, and maybe we can we can wrap this up. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the biggest opportunity cost of all, right? I mean, there is there is a saying, which again, we can probably spend an entire podcast to discuss, but if you can beat poker consistently, you can probably make far more money elsewhere, right? Because poker is not an easy game to beat. You know, of course, we're doing, we're playing poker for more than just money and, you know, like flexibility of times and, you know, being our own bosses, just to name a few, uh, freedoms and stuff like that. But from a monetary perspective, you know, somebody who is consistent enough, puts the work, disciplined enough, uh, in, intelligent enough, skillful enough to be able to beat poker, typically they can do very well in other areas of, of life, as has been demonstrated again and again by multiple examples. So, Peter, talk to us a little bit about that. You know, like how much choosing poker as a profession is um, entails, if you will, an opportunity cost in itself. And what are some things that people can, you know, potentially consider, think about? It ties back to the example you gave earlier about choosing career. So let's talk about the career most are interested about. Yeah, I, and I think you're right because I, I think there's like a general. I think most people agree at this point that like your earnings in poker are 
there is a cap. Like, I mean, the earnings are not, it's not infinitesimal. Nobody goes out and wins every single tournament. Nobody is, you know, there's, your win rate at cash games is reasonably capped. You can make six figures a year, um, but that upper ceiling, there is a ceiling there. And I think think most people agree. Um, So why choose poker then over, let's say something like day trading, which right. obviously if you're really good at has potentially exponential returns depending right. on, you know, a lot of different factors. Um, that in itself is probably a lot comes down to the kind of person you, the kind of person that you are, what you enjoy doing most and what drives you. Like, I mean, I like, Yes. Do I like money? Yes. I I don't think there's anybody that plays poker that doesn't like money. Right. Is money my primary driver at this point in my life? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. It's on the list, but it's not the reason I get up in the morning. It doesn't push me to do what I do. Right. All I want. I am happy once my bills are covered. Everything after that is a bonus. You know. That's right. And that's. But that's me. So that's what. So for me. Maybe I could make more money doing something else, but this is what I enjoy. This is this is enough. This is uh, this is fine for me. Somebody else who like the amount of time that we put into the game to be good, like to be a winning player at any level, you have to put in significant time to make it your career. You have like you will probably work longer days than you ever would in a job mm-hmm. with poker between studying, um, actual game time, going through hands, doing course. There's a, the stuff, the the list of things that you actually have to go through and keep on top of is massive. Like I mean, twelve and fourteen hour days are quite normal, right? Uh, for poker players, and while we do have flexibility. You work hard. That's like right. it's 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 not it's it's a hard way to make an easy living. Right. So, no, this is a very good cost, point. Yeah. So, why choose again? Why choose this? Again, that comes down to if you put the same time into something else, like let's say, for example, day trade. If you were to do that, and you know, between the actual times the markets are open or whatever. And then, you know, you're sort of researching the background and all. If you put that time in there, yes, your return is going to be a lot higher. Um, so from purely a monetary, if money is your driver, poker is not your game because you can easily make more money elsewhere. But the actual challenge of the game, and I think that's what most of us who play really love, it's the actual challenge breaking down the game, like, is there a challenge in things like date? I'm sure there is. It's not so. It's not an area I know a lot about. But the challenge is different. It's it's not the same. It's not the same psychological warfare on mm-hmm. a daily basis that you have when you're playing poker. So it's it all. I think it all comes down to what initially drives you. What is your what is your driving force? This is this is very eloquently put, Peter. And you bring at least. Uh 
if, if I counted correctly, at least three very important uh, topics there. The first one is the choice of metric matters, right? Like essentially, when you're saying, listen, the, the measuring device by which you measure the opportunity cost is very relevant because we said, Duncan, if I measured my poker success based on just uh, money, or in other words, if I measured the cost based on money, maybe I would have chosen a different career. But the measuring device I'm using, it's not just money, what I call the metric, right? I mean, you can choose a different way to, to measure things. The other thing that you mentioned is the diminishing returns of um, of, 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 of monetary values, right? I mean, this is the utility of money, right? The, the next dollar you earn is worth less than the, the dollar before. This is like a little bit like the independent chip model. Uh, not, not, not quite, because there is, first you need to cover all your needs, but after that money loses value fast, really, really, really fast. And you're absolutely correct about that. And people, you know, when you do your calculations, they're platonic calculations, if you will, or your practical calculations, in both ways, you have to take into account the diminishing return of money. And the third thing that you mentioned, which I think is very interesting and very important, is about hard work, right? I mean, there is a lot of hard work in poker, but uh, this ties to something else that you said, that we love what we do. And, and to this day, I don't think I've ever seen a single person who worked really hard, and I'm talking about really hard, like 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 we do, you know, like hours on end every day on something that they don't like. And that was something actually I realized this week, you know, show me a person who does something they absolutely hate for 14 hours a day, and I'm gonna show you a real hard worker, right? Because I don't think honestly that's possible, right? And I, you know, like I remember I was having a conversation with my wife, you know, like I, I can do that when it comes to math, like, I mean, I can, or, or poker, you know, I can, you know, be up for like, I, I don't know if it's healthy, but like hours on end, you know, dozens of hours of end, but. Like, I don't feel I'm doing something special because, you know, I don't get the same fatigue, you know, that other people might that they didn't like it as much, right? So I don't know how much, you know, it it, 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 it counts. So you see someone like David Goggins, who is like absolutely gets illuminated by the, the suffering of running. And I'm like, you know, you sort of like that. I mean, if you don't really like like that that thing, it's very difficult to, to, to work hard and and you talking about this, how we love what we're doing. It just reminded me of this. It's like, it's easier to work hard on something that you like. So there is value in liking what you do. There is value in choosing the metric of happiness, of enjoyment, not pleasure, of enjoyment in the thing that you, that you actually do. Now, whether or not it's a good idea to pursue that which you love versus that which is practical, it's actually a non-trivial question. I'm not saying either way, but I've definitely seen people who've ruined their lives because they tried to do the things that the thing that they loved and they were not necessarily so good at that thing and then their their families have suffered. So there is something to be said about practicality. I'm certainly not the one to tell what is right for for everybody, but it's a non-trivial question. So uh, what I'm saying is that doing what you like, like basically this is the, 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 the Confucian approach, right? Um, do what you love and you're never going to have to work a day in your life. Essentially, hard work becomes easy work if it is what you like. But what I'm not saying is that try, no matter what you do, try to do the thing that you love because I don't know if this is going to be a good career choice for you. But if you happen to, if, if what you love happens to be something that you're good at and you can work hard at, which is going to be easier, then you can be very profitable and it can can help you a lot. And that would be that would be great. Yes. And you have the and you have the mindset and sort of, you know, resiliency that's needed mm -hmm. to succeed. 
because in particular with poker, poker is going to absolutely you up day in, day out, emotionally and psychologically as a career, because there's no guarantee. And while you might love it, you might be good at it. If you're not able to deal with the lows as well as the highs, that's going to be an issue. So there's even more that goes into that decision than just, you know, can I make a living at it? A lot of people could make a living at it, but can they do it in the back? You know, can they push through those bad patches and come out the other side still smiling? That's right. the hard part. That's the hard part. And exactly. that's what separates the. That's what separates, you know, the the people that the the top players who are still there after years in the game because they were they had that resiliency. That's right. Very very good point. And that's you know consistency basically, right? Being able mm. to do it consistently through the ups, through the ups and the downs. Uh, that's actually an excellent ending note i would say uh is, is there anything else peter you uh you wanted to add otherwise where can people find you no yeah no i think that's uh i think we've 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 covered it uh we've covered quite a lot on that one duncan so um of course people can find me at um in greatness village go to chasingpoker.com and you'll find it under greatness village i'm also personally on twitter at peter birmingham and um yeah if uh yeah Drop into the village, click into uh, the Slack group and say hello. Absolutely. And speaking of the you, village, uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just before, you know, where people can find me, I just want to, speaking of the village, I want to give a huge shout out to Renee and uh, the people in the village for helping us out with, uh, you know, technical issues, right? Microphone issues. So that's, you know, it's it's great to have that community of people. You know, we have experts in many different fields and helping each other out. It's It's an excellent place. Uh, so feel free to, to join us, you know, uh, talk about a lot of different things, not necessarily poker related. You'll be surprised how many people, you know, will have similar interests uh, with you, which are non-poker related, right? I mean, there are certain things that, you know, um, poker players have in common, whether, you know, we realize it or not. So it's an excellent community for, for things, both poker and, and outside of poker. Uh, other than that, you know, the, the regular tweeters of the world, um, uh, you can find Peter Birmingham at Peter Birmingham and with with a four, I believe, at the end. <laughs> yes, with a four. That was actually, believe it or not, that was a misclick when I typed it in. When I was putting it in, that was not done on purpose. And it was only when I went to sign in, it took me ages to find the name when I hadn't saved the login details. But yeah, it's That's it's funny. with a four. It looks weird, a total misclick, but yes. you know. That's okay. Everything a, for a, everything for a reason. Everything for a reason, <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, um, ask uh, the math dr uh, my my Twitter handle, or if you prefer to uh, watch this conversation instead of listen to it, uh, why Alex beats Bobby uh, on YouTube. Uh, thank you all for for liking and subscribing. I I really very much appreciate it. If you have comments, as always, you know you can use the village. You can uh, talk on YouTube. Uh, but other than that. Uh, I hope we will see you all next week. Peter, thank you so very yeah. much for a, another thank excellent you, conversation. We'll, yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community 
book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.